Hello and welcome to my podcast on the synchronous teaching of Java in 2020, or as I perhaps should call it, um, how the COVID-19 pandemic uh, changed the way that I deliver uh, synchronous lectures, particularly to undergraduate students. My name is Dr. Jason Howth and I teach, among other things, the computer programming subjects for the School of Computing, Mathematics and Engineering. So programming subjects feature across all of our IT degrees at Charles Sturt. And teaching programming is a bit like teaching English grammar. So above all, students need to be able to write a computer program in a language that's acceptable, such as Java, which is the main one we use here at Charles Sturt. And they need to get the syntax right. And the syntax of a programming language is uh, more strict than any English teacher you can imagine. So students type in their programs to an editor. They then compile their programs and they try and run their programs. The problem almost always arises during the compilation process because students make mistakes, as we all do. They forget to add a semicolon to the end of their programming sentence. And for a programming sentence, a semicolon terminates the sentence, much like a full stop terminates a standard English sentence. So there's all these syntactical rules that students need to get their heads around. And in addition to the syntactical rules is how we get to the end point. We all know that we can write an essay, for example, on how man landed on the moon, but it's not the conclusions necessarily that we arrive at, but how we get there, the story that we tell. Similar with programming. I can ask students to program something that outputs a bouncing ball, but there are students who will do that well, write efficient, well-organized computer code, and there are students who will make a mess, but still get to the output. So a lot of it is about not just syntactical errors or getting the syntax right, but also making sure that the program that we write is indeed elegant, that it's not bloated, that we don't use seven lines of code when we could use two, that it's understandable by human readers and so on. So there's a lot to teach in a programming course beyond just whether or not your program works. Now, the subject that I'm talking about here today is a subject called uh, Programming in Java 2. Now, I've been teaching programming on and off for around about 20 years. And there's been a basic dichotomy of online and on-campus teaching for programming. So with our on-campus students, we give them a lecture, and then we would typically give them a practical where they go into a computer lab, I would walk around or one of the tutors would walk around the lab and see if they have any questions while they're typing in answers to their practical exercises. That's the on-campus on cohort. The online cohort, uh, our school, the School of Computing, Maths and Engineering has been fairly leading edge in the fact that we've used synchronous teaching for a long time now. So, Typically, our postgraduate students, so a bit more maturity there, would be online, and I would give them a one-hour 
to one and a half hour synchronous lecture on Java, and they would do the practical exercises on their own. And by and large, this arrangement worked very well. So what happened, of course, in 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Now, in terms of our postgraduate students who were studying a similar type of material, for them, there was no change. They still had their synchronous lecture. Now, on-campus students, on the other hand, had to move from on-campus mode to online mode. And this, for many of them, was a big jump. Many of them just out of high school, lacking perhaps that maturity, that drive to self-learn, which is often needed in a higher degree when you're working remotely. So what I decided to do was something different. So crisis um, often um, instigates innovation. And I don't think what I did was particularly innovative, but it did make me think about going forward, what is the best way to teach programming to all students, whether on campus or online. So the on-campus students moved to online and we had a one hour synchronous lecture slot. In addition to that, I set aside a one hour practical slot online. Now the synchronous lecture slot was for me to deliver what amounted to perhaps a pretty standard lecture, but in an online environment. Now, when I say a standard lecture, I should point out that I've evolved in my teaching as well as we all have. So for me, a standard lecture um, is not just getting in front of a screen, whether online or on campus, and telling people what to do, but that's how I started. So I like to think of it as a three-letter acronym, TSD. So often as academics, uh, in our lectures, we start out telling people what to do, telling people the state of the nation, telling people about a topic or a subject. I started like that. So I put up slides and I told them, here's how you write a program, here's the features you need to be aware of, here's what you do. And it was all static. It was me telling them. And then I realised that if, for example, the students were learning to drive a car, me telling them how to drive a car is not going to make them good drivers. So we need something beyond just tell. So very quickly, I worked out, and I'm sure others have as well, that it's not just telling them that we need to do, we also need to show them. So if you're trying to teach someone again to use the analogy of driving a car, um, you want to show them how to drive a car. You just don't want to sit them in a chair and say, well, you turn the ignition on and then you move it from park to drive and then you release the handbrake or the footbrake. You want to show them. And so my lectures move from telling them to showing them. But I was the one doing the showing. So in programming, we have what are called integrated development environments. And that's just a fancy name for a program that teaches programming, or not teaches, but a program where you do your program, integrated development environments. So um, these environments have things such as uh, toolboxes to add graphical components to your program, 
They allow you to debug your program to see if there's any errors, to compile the program so that it's ready to run by the user. And most importantly of all, they have an editor. So in the tell, uh, or sorry, the show phase of my teaching, I brought up the integrated development environment in my lecture, whether it's synchronous or on campus. And I showed them how to do things. I said, okay, if you want to write a program that finds the prime numbers between one and a thousand, here's what I would do. And I went ahead and wrote that program. And we perhaps discussed little parts of it. And they saw me make errors, which I should add is a very important thing for students to see. Once again, when I started as an academic, I had this conception that the academic had to be perfect or close to perfect, that we couldn't make mistakes. Somehow that would lower the confidence that people had in our knowledge and in our ability. But that's an idealistic and perhaps naive uh, approach to adopt. It soon became apparent to me that as long as you're not making mistakes that are so egregious and, and basic that is going to call into question your knowledge, but making mistakes in a complex process is normal. And for students to see an academic not quite get the syntax right or to produce when they're writing a program an output that was not expected because there's a minor logical error, that's actually very good for students. Not only does it give you as the academic the opportunity to go back and to revise, iteratively improve the program that you're writing, which is a very common uh, approach, but it also shows to students they shouldn't despair if things don't work out perfectly for them. It's normal. So these two phases, the tell phase and the show phase, is roughly where I get up to in my lectures now, or perhaps I should say before the COVID pandemic, because all of a sudden I had undergraduate students in the online environment and they were less experienced than students I'd previously had. And here I was giving them a Zoom lecture and I was telling them how to write a program and I was showing them how to write a program, but there was still, to me, something clearly missing. They were not asking as many questions as the postgraduates, they were a bit more shy. So I'm wondering, okay, do they, are they really taking this in? Um, and then the analogy of I'm telling them how to drive a car, I'm showing them how to drive a car, but they're still not driving the car, right? That's the missing link here in the whole educative process. And not just that, again, extending that analogy, when you're uh, teaching someone, a young person to drive a car, you're in the front seat with them, they're driving, they're putting the blinker on, they're looking over their shoulder, they're checking their blind spot, they're getting in the right or left lanes as needed, they're slowing down as they approach roundabouts, they're indicating when they come off roundabouts, but you're there to correct any mistakes in real time. And I'm convinced that those real-time corrections are, in fact, the lessons that stay with us because if someone uh, doesn't indicate when they come off the roundabout, then you can say, okay, you've done the wrong thing here. Let's go to the next roundabout and let's improve that. And it's on the spot uh, 
rectification of the error. And it's very important. And the same with programming, right? So I can tell students and show students to write a program and they go away and write a program and they make lots of blunders, perhaps, and mistakes. And no doubt they work through that themselves in a very slow, methodical or unmethodical way, perhaps. But it's not as efficient as it could be. It's really um, more of an apprenticeship style relationship we need here, where you've got a mentor or a master with the apprentice and gently correcting them when they go off track, because they're the lessons that will stay with them, they'll remember. Uh, and because you correct them straight away, they don't have time to kind of um, normalize uh, incorrect behavior. So what I did was to introduce a do session into my synchronous lectures, which although again, it may seem kind of obvious, I hadn't done that before. We had a show session, we had a tell session. The do session was largely, okay, now here's some exercises, you go and do them and maybe you can post your solutions to the discussion board, the final solutions. But what's missing there is that strong iteratively, iterative over the shoulder kind of encouragement, discussing through possible solutions. And the possible solutions is a really important part because there's no one correct way to write a program. There are different ways to approach it. A lot of people have written essays on the same topic, but one is a good essay, one is a mediocre essay, and one is a poor essay. So there may be multiple good essays, multiple different angles we can take with a topic, similar to writing a program. So we want to be able to take advantage of the fact that we are a class. And I think that's very important. And I think particularly in online lecturing, we sometimes forget that we're member of, members of a class, we're a brains trust, and there's lots of different perspectives that the students can bring, rather than just me showing my perspective. So we established this do session, which if you want to call it an online synchronous practical, that's fine, that's, fine. Uh, that's probably the best description. Set an hour aside, a week to bring all of the students in from my class that had transferred from one campus to online. And I put up on the screen an exercise for them to complete. Fairly simple to start with. And I said, right, we're gonna pause the recording and you guys are gonna go away and you're going to write your solution to the exercise. You can chat in the chat window and I'm going to give you a time limit. So I'm going to say for the first one, fairly simple, let's come back in about five or six minutes. And I'm going to write the solution too. So we pause the recording. We had the problem up on the screen. I frantically worked to create a solution. The students frantically worked to create their individual solutions. And then we all came back into the Zoom room. Now, I really wasn't prepared for students to start showing their solutions. That's a fairly big step for them to take to all of a sudden display what they've done on the screen to everyone else. So I thought, okay, I'll go first in my initial attempt at this practical online lecture. I 
showed my solution. I talked through it. I encouraged people to critique it. Is there anything I could have done better? And I was honest with them. I said that I didn't write this, so I've intentionally left things off. I wrote it under pressure, under duress, perhaps like everyone. And no doubt there are things I could improve. I talked through what I did. And then I said, is there anyone else who would like to share their solution? And one brave soul came up and said, yes, I'll share my solution. So he shared his solution on screen and he talked through his solution. And it was a bit different to mine. And then we started to critique them side by side. Who's done the better, who's done the better thing? Who's wrote the most efficient method? Well, perhaps my method was three or four lines of code and the student's method was two lines of code. And I said, well, okay, perhaps the student here has done a better job than me. He's managed to write some more efficient code. Perhaps my program was more understandable to a human reader. Perhaps the student's program missed out some of the um, stylistic requirements of Java that still allows a program to compile, but is perhaps, as with English, not uh, part of the formal definition of the language. So we critiqued it in this way. And before long, uh, to my surprise, every student in the class, and it was a class of about 12, was happy uh, at one time or another to share their program for critiquing. And we critiqued them off against each other. So initially, it was just one person sharing a program and their solution. Then it became two people sharing the solution to the same problem and us discussing differences and which one was better, um, which one had benefits in this area, but not that area. We tended to avoid as qualitative, this is better, this is worse judgments. Okay, We tended to break it down and say, well, this program did this really well. I really like what this student did over here with this program. And after, before too long, um, I found that the practical sessions were uh, better attended than the lectures, um, that students were really keen to do the exercises, so much so that they were requesting the exercises before the practicals commenced, and they really appreciated the kind of over-the-shoulder iterative um, guidance um, that that kind of real-time analysis can bring. So they'd been shown how to do, how to drive the car. And I don't think now seeing that, particularly with such a practical subject such as uh, programming, but I'm sure there are many other examples. I don't think seeing how that approached went, I would, I would never sort of go back to simply a tell and show approach. I think tell and show have their place. I think you need to tell and show before a student hops in the car so they have their place, but you know the do part of it, and it wasn't just the do, it was the do plus feedback, immediate feedback and correct and critique. And it was also moving away from those notions of complete right or wrong. Now, in subjects, there, certain subjects, there are complete right and wrong. You know, in maths, there's a complete right and wrong answer. In programming, it's much more uh, gray. And I suspect in many subjects, it, it's like that. So um, this uh, sort of triple tripart approach, I think has become my new way of conceptualizing how I teach. Tell, show, do. 
feedback. And the feedback is very importantly, a, a quick turnaround of feedback because students get feedback when they submit an assessment and they might get feedback three weeks later. But that's in many ways like giving them feedback on the fact that they ran a red light three weeks after they've done it, right? They need the real-time feedback to, to learn to internalise the correct behaviour. So tell, show, do. So that's my experience with pitching Java in a synchronous, synchronous online environment to an undergraduate audience, uh, how I approached it, how my thinking evolved about um, my lecturing in that environment. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it and happy to hear from you, any questions, and happy to keep informing you of how it goes in the future. Thank you.